evening. If you will, in your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. So we're going to continue on our study of Matthew. And I'm really thankful for the opportunity to have to preach the word of God to you tonight. It's been really good for my own heart over this past week as I've studied, prepared, and meditated on these verses from Jesus. Uh, it's been really good for me, and I'm just praying that he would help me speak clearly and help his word to be understood and obeyed. So as a review of what we've seen so far in chapter 10, as we've studied Matthew on Sunday nights, we've seen Jesus call the 12 apostles to himself, and he's now preparing them to, send, preparing them to be sent out. Um, we've seen in Matthew's gospel how Jesus has preached and healed. Um, and he's calling the 12 also to preach and heal. And we, have his, we as his followers today, right, are also called to preach and heal. And as we've seen before Jesus sends them out on this uh, ministry of preaching and healing, he instructs them to pray, right? Tells them to pray at the end of Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to 38. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So like we've been doing on Sunday nights, I want to continue praying like that. So pray with me. Lord of the harvest, we, we come to you tonight asking this very thing, asking that you would send out laborers into your harvest to spread the good news of the gospel. Open our eyes to see that the harvest is plentiful. And open our eyes to see that the workers are few. Lord, I pray that you would move us with compassion and urgency to the lost and the dark places of the world. We pray that you would raise up laborers even within our midst to be sent out from here. We pray that you would use your word to awaken that call or to confirm that call. We pray that you would use your word to make clear what it will cost, but also to remind us of your presence with us always. We pray that you would raise up laborers who will cherish the gospel so deeply that they will gladly risk for the sake of the kingdom. We pray that you would raise up laborers who won't fear men, but fear you, Lord, above all. God, help us to be obedient to what you call us to. Help us to trust that you will provide for us and that you will give us all that we need to endure to the end. God, we do pray for those workers that we have already sent out from here. And we thank you, God, for their faithful proclamation of the gospel. We pray that you would provide for them and give them all that they need to make disciples among their people. We pray that you would grant them endurance in the work that you have called them to. And you would help them to trust in your sovereignty and in your goodness, even in the face of danger. Lord, as we turn our attention now to your word, I pray for help to teach your word clearly. I pray for hearts that are soft, that will receive God's word. And I pray for help from your spirit to give us courage and boldness to preach the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Matthew chapter 10, let's read verses 16 through 31, and then we'll study verses 26 through 31. So in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. 
when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus, he calls the twelve to himself. He's preparing them to be sent out. And as he prepares them to be sent out, he tells them what this mission, what this going will actually look like. And we talked about how this is a gracious thing that Jesus does. It's gracious for him to tell them what they can expect when they go on mission. In verse 16, there is a shift from the local mission that the apostles will do themselves to the more general and broad mission in which we participate in today. And when that section was preached, the, we, we discussed how the, we have, as followers of Christ, the aroma of Christ, right? We smell like Jesus. And how there's going to be various responses to that smell of Christ. To some people, it will smell good, and to others, it will smell bad. Some people will receive it, and some will reject it. And some will even respond violently, as we see in 16 through 23. Jesus tells them that they're going to be in some dangerous situations. In fact, he tells them that he is the one sending them into those dangerous situations. He says he sends them out as sheep in the midst of wolves, and he tells them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so we discussed how God is constantly calling his people to risk for the sake of the kingdom. If Jesus says get in the boat, we get in the boat, right? Um, The most important thing for the follower of Christ is not safety, but obedience to God. We want to do what God tells us to do. And so we discussed how this mission of getting the gospel to the nations must continue until Jesus returns. We are to be busy with the mission, knowing that it will be dangerous and divisive, that there will be cost that comes with the spread of the good news to the nations, but it will be totally worth the cost. Right? How there, there will be persecution, but not without purpose. And that purpose is to spread the gospel to the nations. Last week in particular, in verses 24 and 25, we saw how we are to be like Jesus, truly like Jesus. And if that's true, if we're truly like him and bold with the gospel, then we can expect to be treated like he was treated. When we identify with Jesus, we can expect the same hatred and opposition and trouble that he experienced. Because if they treated Jesus that way, then why would, they not, why would they treat us, his followers, any better? And so the question we left with last time was, are we willing, am I willing, to pay the price to spread this good news? So tonight, let's look closely at verses 26 to 31. I'll read those verses again, and as I do, look for the command that Jesus repeats. Verse 26, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. 
And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So notice that three times in those six verses, Jesus says not to be afraid, right? Verse 26, have no fear of them. Verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body. Verse 31, fear not, therefore. So clearly, Jesus does not want his followers to be afraid, right? He wants his followers to be fearless. And so we may ask ourselves, why might his disciples be afraid? Well, maybe because of what Jesus just told them in verses 16 through 23, right? After hearing what Jesus said, fear might start to arise within them. Jesus just told them about the cost of being um, arrested by the authorities in verses 16 through 19. They will deliver you over to the courts, flog you in your, in the, in your synagogues. Verse 18, you're going to be dragged before governors and kings. Verse 19, when they deliver you over. Jesus just told them about the cost of family betrayal. Verse 21, your own family will put you to death. Jesus just told them about the cost of being hated by all, persecuted, driven out of town. Verses 22 and 23. Jesus just told them about the cost of being maligned. Verse 25, if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And as we'll see tonight, Jesus will tell them about the cost of being killed. Verse 28. And so as betrayal, hatred, persecution comes, Jesus says that fear will tempt us. But he says, do not, do not fear, have no fear of them. Jesus wants his followers to be fearless witnesses, even in the face of danger. And this fear, this fear is a real temptation, right? Particularly when it comes to sharing the gospel and speaking about the truths of the gospel. This fear can be a temptation if you live in a place in which you could be killed for preaching the gospel. But it can also be Fear can also be a temptation in a place like we live, right? Where it's totally legal to share the gospel. Fear can still tempt us. It can tempt us to be afraid, to pull back our testimony, to not say all that needs to be said. We've probably all had times, right, where we weren't bold to share the gospel because of, because of fear. Fear that we may be thought to be silly or rude or uneducated or whatever it may be. But then and now, fear is one of the biggest obstacles to Christians sharing the gospel and obeying Christ's commission. And so therefore, we need to know what Jesus says about overcoming fear. So Jesus' aim in these verses is to overcome fear and instill courage, to overcome the fear of speaking, even when that speaking might get you in trouble, and to give us courage to speak the gospel with clarity and boldness, no matter the cost. But notice in these verses, Jesus does not just say, don't be afraid. He gives them reasons not to be afraid or we could say motivations to have courage. Jesus does not just tell us what it will cost to bear faithful witness. He also tells us what blessings that we can count on to sustain us when the trouble comes. And these blessings that he outlines here outweigh the costs by far. And so tonight, I wanna look at five blessings that we can count on to sustain us. Five motivations for courage as we go on mission and preach the gospel. So look at verse 26 first. Jesus says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Notice at the beginning of the verse, the word so, or therefore, depending on your translation. My favorite preacher has done a good job of training me, training us, to recognize that word, right? To recognize that it is a word that looks backward to what came before it, 
So the so there, or the therefore, looks backward to verse 25. And this fearlessness that Jesus calls us to in verse 26 flows from what Jesus said in verse 25, particularly the second part of the verse, where he says, If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Therefore, have no fear of them. This may at first seem like sort of a strange argument from Jesus. Jesus saying, they called me the devil, how much more will they malign you? They call me the devil, they're going to call you worse things. Therefore, don't be afraid. We may expect it to, to, to be, therefore, be afraid. But Jesus is saying that when they malign you for preaching the gospel, don't think it's strange right, or unexpected or random because it's how they treated me. And so if you're being treated the way that Jesus was treated, that's actually evidence that you belong to him, right? It's actually a sign that you are part of his household. And so reason number one not to fear, do not fear because you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. So the so or the therefore looks backward to the previous verse, and the for after the comma looks forward to the rest of the verse. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So Jesus here gives another argument or a reason for why we should not fear. This reason has a forward look to it. Reason number two, not to fear. Do not fear because you'll be vindicated in the end. You'll be vindicated in the end. Jesus says, nothing is covered that will, be, will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So we could ask ourselves, what, what's Jesus saying there? What does that phrase mean? It means that one day in the future, God is going to make all things right. One day in the future, the sin and the evil of this world will be exposed, right? And God's justice will prevail. It's not the way it is now, currently, right? Jesus' followers are arrested, betrayed, put down, persecuted, hated. But someday, one day, one glorious day, that's, always, that's going to change, right? It won't always be like this for the follower of Christ. God will bring everything to light and cause the truth to be made known. He will uncover all that is true and, and right on that last day. And so because of this, because that's what we can expect, we shouldn't be afraid of this world and its ways. Even our persecutors, Jesus says, don't fear them because they're not going to have the last word. God, our Father, will have the last word. Your persecutors, their opposition to Jesus will be revealed. They will ultimately be condemned. And all that will be left is vengeance for them. So do not fear your persecutors will ultimately fail. Whatever they may say about you or do to you, whatever the source of your torment may be, Jesus promises that one day it will end. God will vindicate his own. And so as his followers, this assures us that the truth that we proclaim will triumph. Even though it may be rejected now, one day the truth will triumph. And so because the truth will triumph, don't worry about what the world says now. Be concerned about what God will say in eternity. John MacArthur says about this verse, someday God's going to expose everything and those who have looked like they were the winners will turn out to be the eternal losers and the losers who've been persecuted for their faith are going to be the winners forever. So we aren't afraid of what the world does because we are looking for an eternal vindication at the hands of God. So reason number two, not to be afraid, do not fear because you'll be vindicated in the end. And so as we face this fear, as, we, as the fear comes, see with this eternal, forward-looking, eternal perspective and trust God. Trust that he will, in the end, vindicate his own. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. 
So as we wait for God to make all things right, we are to continue to preach this gospel, this good news with boldness. As we long for that day, we are to be busy preaching the gospel this day. Three things to note from this verse. Number one, we are to speak. We are to open our mouths. We must open our mouths. We must use our words to preach the gospel. Number one, we are to speak. Number two, we are to give the message as we receive the message. Notice that Jesus says, what I tell you, say. What you hear, proclaim. And so we are to speak clearly and openly, to hold nothing back. We are to preach on the housetops. We are to teach all that Jesus has commanded us, as he'll say later in the Great Commission. So number one, we are to speak. Number two, we are to give the message as we receive the message. And number three, we are to speak only what we have heard from Jesus. Nothing less, nothing more. Right? We don't alter the message in any way for fear of what the reaction might be. Instead, we preach the whole gospel, the true gospel. And it is our responsibility as Jesus' followers to tell the world, right, to make this message public. One practical application for our lives is just like the disciples here were to take the things they're hearing from Jesus and then communicate those to those around them to proclaim them publicly, we too are to learn in private with Jesus and then go out and share publicly, right? It is good for us to have a daily quiet time, daily devotional time where we're opening God's word, meeting with Jesus, hearing from him in his word, encountering him in his word, and then to go out from that time and be prepared for the day, to be looking for opportunities to to preach the gospel, to weave gospel threads into our conversations and with those around us. So we want to cherish this gospel. We want to delight in the wonderful truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right, to the glory of God alone, as we learn from the scriptures alone. But we don't only want to cherish the gospel for ourselves. This good news that we cherish is also good news for the world, right? It's good news for those around us, for our neighbors, for the nations, to all, for all the peoples. So, Practically, daily, we need to regularly go to our quiet place, go to our secret place, and have our hearts set on fire by God. Ask God to set, set your heart on fire by his word, and then to go out from that time with eyes looking to share that, share that truth with those around us. So Jesus tells them to speak, proclaim what he has told them, and really this is extreme kindness on the part of God, isn't it? That he would invite us to proclaim this gospel, that he would invite us to participate in the mission of getting the gospel to the nations, that although we've sinned against God and deserve only his righteous wrath forever, he has in his own great love and mercy sent his own son Jesus, right, who is fully God and fully man, who lived a perfect and sinless life, who died a death that he didn't deserve but that we deserved. Jesus, the righteous one, died for the unrighteous sinners like you and me, and how he was buried, placed in a tomb, and three days later God raised him from the dead. Jesus then ascended into heaven where he currently sits at the right hand of God. He offers forgiveness of sins, eternal life for all of those who will repent and believe, right? For all of those who will leave their life of sin behind, run far from it, and instead run run to him and trust in him alone for salvation. So the fact that as his followers, God would not only save us from our sin, but also reconcile us to himself, adopt us as his own, but then also invite us to participate in the mission is extreme kindness and abundant love, to say the least from God. And so all of this should make us bold in sharing this good news, sharing this great news. So number one, do not fear because you belong to Jesus. You are part of his household. Number two, do not fear because you will be vindicated in the end. And until that day, 
proclaim the gospel on the housetops. We'll see reason number three not to fear in verse 28. Verse 28. Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Reason number three not to fear. Do not fear because all they can do is kill your body. Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. So we may ask ourselves, who, who's that talking about? Who can kill the body but not souls? Men, right? Men can kill your body but not your soul. Jesus knows that we're going to be tempted to fear man, tempted to fear what man can do to us. But Jesus says, don't, don't fear them. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And initially, this may sound like a pretty strange way to encourage his disciples, right? Essentially saying, guys, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them because the worst thing they can do is, is kill you. It may cause us to tremble a little bit, right? But Jesus means this as comfort and encouragement. He means this as comfort and encouragement. But it only be received like that only be received as comfort and encouragement if we first realize that we have already died with Christ. We've already died with Christ. Like Colossians 3, 3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Or John 5, 24, where Jesus talks about we have already passed from death to life. For the believer, not even death can harm us. For the believer, not even death can harm you. Physical death does not alter our ultimate destiny. Like Romans 8 says, 35 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So for the believer, not even death can separate you from the love of Christ. In fact, for the believer, death is the entrance into paradise. So Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We may ask ourselves, who's that? That's God. It's not man that we are to fear. God is the one we are to fear. Not in the sense of being afraid of him, but in the sense of reverencing him, regarding him as ultimate, to have a deep respect for who he is. Fearing God in the sense of awe and reverence of his infinite majesty and his infinite holiness. So we are to fear God since he is the ultimate judge. He is the one who has eternity in his hand, not men. So we could say Jesus is saying here that we need to get our fear right. We need to get our fear right. We need to know whom to fear. Don't fear men, fear God. Fear the one who is really powerful. Fear the one who determines the destiny of souls. Don't fear those who can only kill the body. David Platt says of this section, it has been said that saints of old feared man so little because they feared God so much. Likewise, when you and I fear God alone, then we can stand boldly in front of people that we, have, we would previously have been afraid to share the gospel with, even those who would take our lives. For in the end, death for the father of Christ is actually gain. Philippians 1.21. So let's be like that, right? May that be true of us, that we fear God so much that it removes fear of man. 
fear God alone so that we will speak the truth with any threat that stands in our way. So one practical application to, to increase our fear of the Lord, how do we do that? I think we learn more about him, right? We, we look at him in his word. We have a better understanding of who he is and the way that he has revealed himself in his word. And in turn, we understand better rightly who we are in light of who he is. As our friend Matt O recently said, because of our trust in Jesus, the biggest threats in this life and the life to come have no effect on us. So reason number three, not to fear. Do not fear when you go out and preach the gospel. Persecution comes because all they can do is kill your body. They cannot touch your soul, right? They cannot touch your soul. Because of Jesus, our soul is safe forever. Like we sing, we sang this morning, it is well with my soul. It will forever be well with my soul, right? And the only harm that can come our way, the only harm that can come our way is what God our Father graciously appoints to come into our life. The worst they can do to you, the worst that your opponents can do to you when you preach the gospel, when you speak the truth, is to kill your body. And that leaves your soul untouched, right, and happy in God forever and ever. Verses 29 through 31, we'll see reason four and five of why we should not fear. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So reason number four, not to fear. Do not fear, because God is completely sovereign. Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? These little cheap sparrows, right? Two for a penny. And Jesus says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So this verse teaches us that God is absolutely sovereign, completely sovereign. He is completely in control of all things. God is sovereign even over the most insignificant events, like little, cheap, dying birds. God, the creator, sustainer, and the ruler of all the universe, governs all creatures and their actions. He exercises his providential care even over the smallest details of life. He controls even the smallest occurrences, like a small sparrow falling to the ground. Also notice where Jesus teaches about the sovereignty of God. Mark Dever says, Jesus teaches about the absolute sovereignty of God as he prepares missionaries to be sent out because he knew that they would need to know that truth about God in order to be able to persevere and endure through the opposition that they would encounter. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18, in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And so as his followers, right, we to have an unshakable confidence in the absolute sovereign authority of Jesus as we go and preach the gospel. So reason number four, not to fear. Do not fear because God is completely sovereign. If little birds don't fall to the ground apart from our Father appointing it, then nothing will happen to you apart from your Father graciously appointing it. So don't fear, be courageous and speak. Verse 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The fact that Jesus numbers every hair on our head means that he is very near. You have to get really close to a person to, to know the number of hairs on their head. And so all of this implies close, careful, intimate attention. We know that Jesus knows us completely, better than we even know ourselves. He knows every detail 
of our lives. And so when the suffering comes, when the opposition comes for being bold and declaring the gospel, we know that Jesus is not far away. He is close and he is with you. So why does Jesus say this about the sparrows and the hairs on her head? Like, what's the point of this? I think the point is, if God takes care of little birds and numbers every hair on your head, then he will surely take care of you. So don't be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Birds don't have souls, neither does hair, but you do, and you are of much more value. Notice in verse 29 also, at the end of the verse, it says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Notice the, the tender personal emphasis there. None of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The ESV study Bible says, since the heavenly father gives constant sovereign supervision, even to seemingly insignificant creatures, surely he will also take care of his disciples in their mission to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. So reason number five, not to fear. Do not fear because not only is God sovereign, but he is your father. and He will be with you and he will take care of you. There is no situation in which God will be unable to sustain you. There is no situation which can ultimately undermine your confidence in the fact that God is sovereign and God is good. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus is always with us and he is all that we need. Jesus is always with us and he is all that we need. Our security comes from his presence with us. Jesus has promised to be with us always to the end of the age. And if he is with us always, then there is nothing we can fear, nothing we need to fear. So in summary, we've seen five truths, five truths as Jesus prepares to send his missionaries out, his apostles out to proclaim the gospel. He gives five truths to strengthen them for the coming trials. Five motivations for courage, five blessings that they can count on to sustain them when the hard times come. Number one, we saw how we are, he says, do not fear because you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You are part of his household. You belong to the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Number two, do not fear because you will be vindicated in the end. God will one day make all things right. And until that day, go on proclaiming the gospel because the truth will triumph. Have an eternal perspective. And as we wait for that day, let's be busy with the mission this day. Number three, do not fear because all they can do is kill your body. They cannot touch your soul, right? Because of Jesus, because of our union with him, by grace, through faith, our soul is safe forever. Do not fear man, fear God above all others. Practically, let's decrease our fear of man by increasing our fear of the Lord, having a right vision for who he is. Number four, do not fear because God is completely sovereign. He is sovereign even in the midst of our trials. He is always sovereign, always good. If little birds don't fall to the ground, apart from our Father appointing it, then nothing will come our way unless our Father graciously appoints it. So let's have this unshakable confidence in the absolute sovereign authority of Jesus as we go and proclaim the gospel. And number five, we saw how we are not to fear because not only is God sovereign, but he is our Father. He promises to always be with us, always take care of us, and he is all that we need. So let's let these truths serve as motivations for courage, motivations for courage to preach the gospel, whatever it may cost. Let's close in prayer.
Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you. You have called us to follow you. We know that you've called us to follow you no matter the cost. We pray that you would make us faithful laborers. May we not fear men, but fear you above all. Pray that you would make us bold and fearless to proclaim this gospel on the housetops. And we pray for help to do that. We pray for help from your spirit to preach. And that as we preach, Father, I pray that you would save the lost. You would call the lost to repentance and faith. That they would repent and believe and trust in you alone for salvation. We thank you for your time, or the time in your word tonight. I pray that you would drive these truths deep into our heart, that you would use these truths as motivations for courage to proclaim the gospel, to speak the truths of Jesus, whatever comes our way in the good times and in the bad times, knowing that you are always with us and that you are all that we need. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.